This is Evermore Poe, the turbulent youth of Edgar Allan Poe. Chapter 29 Hi, Eddie, called the soft, sweet voice of a little girl. A broad smile grew across his face. Eddie didn't have to turn around to see who it was. Hi, Rosie, he sang in reply. Without another word, the petite child sat down next to her big brother. Rosalie Mackenzie Poe was the youngest of the three Poe children and perhaps, as a result, the most cheerful. She hadn't yet been born when their father David abandoned the little family, and she was only an infant when their mother became sick. As a result, Rosie had been spared the pain of a broken family, the memory of their terminally ill mother coughing up blood, and the endless stream of fans and other mourning strangers who came to pay their last respects to the fallen actress. Unfortunately for Eddie, the somber, indelible memory was all too vivid. After her passing, fellow actors The Ushers fulfilled Eliza Poe's dying wish to find a good home for each of her three orphaned children. She could not have known that that would mean splitting them up. When news of this plan reached the children's grandparents in Baltimore, they were livid. Who were these strangers, the ushers, to make custody choices on behalf of the Poe family? Heated letters volleyed back and forth between Richmond and Baltimore, with one side demanding the children live with their grandparents, while the other side insisted that separate but wealthy homes were the answer for their welfare. In the end, two affluent families in Richmond won custody, along with charitable bragging rights. The toddler Edgar would go with the Allens, while the baby Rosalie would be taken in by their good friends, the Mackenzies. Only the eldest child, Henry, a month shy of his fifth birthday, was capable of speaking for himself and requested that he live with his grandparents in Baltimore. Nevertheless, the three siblings managed to remain in touch over the years through letters. But as a result of their long distance with Henry, the relationship had become reduced to little more than a distant familial association. Unlike their elder brother, Edgar and Rosalie were in one another's lives from the beginning. This was due in large part to the close friendship between Frances Allen and Rosie's adoptive mother, Mrs. Jane Mackenzie. Eddie loved his little sister very much, and she worshipped him to no end. Nevertheless, as time and circumstance took their toll, the difference between even these siblings grew. It had begun to occur to Eddie that his baby sister didn't seem to be transitioning beyond her childlike state even as she began to enter puberty. Where other girls her age were playing dress-up in their mother's gowns, pretending to be debutantes, and sitting at vanities, Rosalie was off in a corner silently rocking a ragdoll. And although she had spent years attending her family's popular charm school, Mrs. Mackenzie's School for Girls, her intellect was remedial at best. For his part, Eddie, on more than one occasion, had gotten into fisticuffs with boys calling Rosalie deficient or feeble-minded. But lately, he couldn't help but think they might be onto something. What are you doing out here, Eddie? she asked sweetly. I should ask the same of you, little sister. Rosalie patted down her petticoats bashfully. So, have you heard from Grandmother or from Henry? Henry wrote to us last week. Oh, Eddie, he writes so pretty. I wish I could do cursive. You will, Rosie. Just practice. Hey, what did Henry have to say? How is everyone? Good, I guess. He says he and Grandmother miss us very much. Oh, Eddie, I wish we could all be together like a real family. You mean with the same last name? Huh? Never mind. Edgar's sarcasm was lost on his sister's naive ears. 
The brother and sister pair sat in peaceful silence together when all of a sudden Rosalie announced, I think Henry is a pirate. (laughs) What? Eddie laughed out loud, baffled by the strange non sequitur. Don't laugh at me, Eddie. Everyone is always laughing at me. Eddie put a tender arm around his little sister, about to burst with tears. I'm not laughing at you, Rosie. It's just that there haven't been pirates for a hundred years. So what on earth would make you think Henry is a pirate? Henry is a pirate, she insisted. He said so in his letter. He said he was going to sea on a ship. He said he is to have a great adventure and that he is bound for the tropics. Be that as it may, I assure you Henry is not a pirate. Eddie recalled his grandfather's prestigious rank of assistant deputy quartermaster general under the command of General George Washington himself and realized there might be a grain of truth to Rosalie's words after all. Rosie, think hard. Did Henry say anything about joining the Navy? The Merchant Marines, perhaps? But before the little girl could answer, the double doors to the hall flung open once again. This time, a mass of churchgoers began to pour outside. Eddie grabbed his sister and stood alongside the crowd, now making their way down the steps. There you are, dear, Mrs. Mackenzie said as she took Rosalie by the hand and whisked her away before he could get an answer on Henry. The river of people continued to flow, hats and bonnets bobbing as they exited through the double doors. Eddie spotted the woman he called Aunt Nancy in the crowd. Eddie, we were looking for you, she said. Sorry, I just needed a bit of air. The Allens, consisting of John, Francis, Aunt Nancy, and Eddie, sat cramped in the cabriolet on the way home. John broke the silence. I saw you speaking with the Burling boy. Here we go again, Eddie thought. Ebenezer is my friend, Pa. Oh, sweetheart. Didn't you get into enough trouble with that boy last summer? No, Ma. We just went down the river to go fishing and swimming. And hunting on private property till midnight, said Pa. Your Ma was worried sick, and I don't mind telling you, it wasn't fun cleaning up your mess with the owner. Ma looked down as soon as Eddie's eyes met hers. So it seemed Ma didn't want him to associate with Ebenezer either. Nevertheless, Eddie defended his friend to the letter. Nez, Ebenezer, I should say, is a good kid, Pa. Frankly, sir, if you'll allow me to say, he's far more respectable than some of the boys that come from the so-called finest families in town. Oh, Eddie, we aren't blaming the boy, sweetheart. How could we? It's just that he hasn't grown up in a proper home. He lives in a tavern, for goodness sake, and he has no father figure to speak of. John interrupted his wife. Eddie, what I think your mother is trying to say is that we think the burling boy is a bad influence on you. You will not associate with him anymore. Do you understand? Nez doesn't live in a tavern, Ma. He lives in the boarding house next door. Ha, a boarding house, John corrected, with sailors and foreigners and other dregs of society. It isn't his fault where he lives, Pa. Eddie could no longer maintain his composure. And Mrs. Burling is a businesswoman. If anyone can appreciate that, it's you. John scoffed. Ugh, businesswoman. Now there's an oxymoron if I ever... Of course it isn't his fault, dear. Francis interrupted, trying to break the tension. And that poor Mrs. Burling. I'm sure she's done the best she can all these years. It's quite sad, really. Having once lived in a boarding house with his own single biological mother, 
Eddie became incensed. Sad, he argued. It's commendable as what it is. Mrs. Burling does what she needs to in order to support her family. Besides, the Burlings attend our church, so they can't be that bad off, can they? John Allen considered this for a moment. Aye, you've got a point, now don't you? What kind of people would we be if we didn't try and show the Burling boy some sympathy? Isn't that right, Francis? Eddie is showing the boy a life he would not otherwise know. After all, the Allen family is nothing if not generous to those less fortunate. Am I right, son? Eddie wasn't sure how to respond to the condescending statement. Was Pod trying to be cruel, or was he really that obtuse? While the sting of the insult ran deep, it also provided a conclusion that Eddie could live with, namely that his friendship with Ebenezer wouldn't have to be covert at all that summer. But know this, Alan added, I shan't be so forgiving if you boys find trouble again this summer. So don't. Evermore Poe is the historical account of a teenaged Edgar Allan Poe. If you'd like to learn more about Eddie's devolution to become the master of the macabre, please don't forget to follow and share this podcast. Evermore Poe was researched, written, produced, and edited by yours truly, journalist Chris Kosach. I began my research more than a decade ago using vetted journalistic methods with corroborated fact-checking from respected sources including the Library of Congress, periodicals obtained from multiple Poe museums, notable scholars, and the National Archives, among other collections, strung together in a narrative style. In other words, my story is mostly true. Our music today is from Esther Abrami. It should be noted that some of the characters in Evermore Poe are composites of real people, including servants and slaves who lived in the Allen home at the time of our story. Please note, while Evermore Poe is based on fact, it should not be confused with the historic record. For that, I hope you will go down your own rabbit hole to research one of the most thrilling American authors of all time. Our story continues again next time on Evermore Poe. Until then, I'm Chris Kosach. Thank you for listening.